this morning I get to conclude our series on renewing uh, this morning. And uh, Pastor Ben, when he explained the heart behind this series, uh, what he was talking about is that this series is really a time to pick up and maybe renew some things that maybe have fallen by the wayside during this quarantine time. The way he said it was, it's, uh, there's some things maybe that we need to reboot. Look at somebody and say, reboot. Come on. And so week one, he talked about renewing spiritually, realizing that the Lord is our shepherd and what that does for us spiritually. When we, when we yield to the Lord as our shepherd, then week two, we talked about renewing emotionally, about leaving worry behind. How many of y'all know that worry can just wreck your emotions, right? And so he talked about leaving worry behind and renewing the focus of our emotions. And this week, this week, I get the small task of renewing how we relate to each other, renewing relationally, okay? Everybody say, that's a small task, right? That's a... I think that we can all agree now more than I can remember in my lifetime that we really need to examine how we relate to each other. Especially if you see in our society, there's a real, a real problem in our society as far as how we relate to each other. You hear it every day, but... Uh, it seems like now we're more divided than I can remember at any point in my lifetime as a society. And it's not a coincidence. I truly believe that the enemy of our souls is on attack in full force. You can see his handiwork everywhere from despicable acts of racism, from killings being filmed, from personal property being stolen, broken, huge chunks of great cities in flames. You can see the handiwork of the enemy all over how we relate to each other as a society. The people who are supposed to be informing us of news are actually dividing us even more and more and more. If you've been watching a lot of the news, even actually, sorry, if you've been watching a glimpse of the news lately, you may feel a little bit hopeless about how we as a society relate to each other. Even just a glimpse of the news, it might make you feel a little bit hopeless. Anybody in here feel that? The reality is, is that you, you look at it and you say, will society ever change? Is it possible for society to change? Is it, is the way our society relates to each other, it's never going to change. But as I was thinking about renewing relationally this morning, I was thinking about the idea of this. And that is that society is really nothing more than a collection of individuals. Society is nothing more than a collection of individuals. And so the truth is each of us does have the power to change how our society relates to each other. Because as individuals, we all own our own corner of society. We all own our own corner of society. And so I think the message from God's word today is incredibly important to all of us. How we relate to each other as a society, how we relate to each other as a neighborhood, how we relate to each other as a family, how we relate to everybody on the face of the earth. It's incredibly important. And so I believe if each one of us commits to renewing our relational life this morning, if every one of us would allow Jesus to come in and renew the way we love our spouse, the way we love our kids, the way we love our neighbors, the way we love our community, our little corner of society has the ability to change. Do y'all believe that this morning? 
So let's pray before we kick off the message today. God, we just pray that this morning you would come in and do the work that only you can do, that you would renew us relationally, Lord God. We just pray that you would allow us to be agents of change, God, that in our own little corner of society, God, the flames of revival could break out, that you would renew the way we relate to each other, God, and we would be able to impact our society as a whole today. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Can everybody say amen this morning? Amen, amen. And uh, at, man, all you amen at home, we heard you loud and clear this morning. Not, you need amen a little louder from home. But uh, I want to uh, take a look at a story that Jesus tells us about how we relate to each other. If you got your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 10. And uh, if you take notes, you can access those, the digital notes on the Victory app this morning. We believe here at Victory, here Pastor Ben say it all the time, we believe in taking notes because in these moments that we share together on Sundays, we believe that God speaks to us. And when God speaks to you, you want to write it down and never forget it. And so uh, you can look at those on the Victory app this morning. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through 37. And so how this passage starts out, but the verses before this, there's a Jewish leader who comes up to Jesus and it says he's trying to trick him. He's trying to trap him. He's trying to, to find some way that he can accuse him and get him in trouble. And so the conversation turns and Jesus asks him, he says, well, hey, what, what do you think the Old Testament says about eternal? What do you think the Old Testament says? You know, what's the most important thing from it? And he answers something that Jesus has said in the other Gospels about what is the most important commandment. He answers the right answer. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the, the other thing is, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, that's right. And look at, this is where we're picking up. The verse, it says, the man then wanted to justify his actions. Everybody look at somebody and say, justify. He wanted to justify his action. And so he asked Jesus this question. Who is my neighbor? Where does the line get drawn, right? Because love your neighbor as yourself, that is a radical statement to say. Love your neighbor, not just love your neighbor, love your neighbor how you love yourself. I think every single one of us in this room right now could say we fall short of that standard. I know I do. And then, but then man, it says he wanted to justify himself. And this word justify, I was curious about it, so I looked it up. And the word justify, it's a legal term that he used. And the word means to acquit. Anybody ever watch Law and Order? To acquit. That means to declare himself not guilty. So deep down in his heart, he knew that there were some neighbors that he wasn't loving. But he said, you know what? What actually signifies whether or not someone is a neighbor? Where do I draw the line about who is a neighbor? And I think all of us, especially the ones who have kids with us, kids, I'm not hating on you this morning. I'm just, you know, picking, you know, that's all. But we all know that the... The justifying of yourself is something deep down in the human soul. Am I right? Why did you bite her? Well, she kicked me. Well, why did you kick him? Well, he looked at me weird. You know, like, it doesn't change the fact that kicking is wrong just because he looked at you, but you got to justify yourself, right? I find myself, whenever the kids say that, looking at my own self, be like, you know what? I justify myself a whole lot, too. I justify myself a whole lot too. And so what I find at least 
is that so many times when we justify ourselves, it's so that we don't have to deal with our own missteps. Because if he looked at me weird, it don't matter that I kicked him. It's quiet in this Baptist church this morning. My goodness. No biting and kicking going on at y'all's houses. Oh, my goodness. And so when this man asked Jesus, when he's trying to declare himself not guilty, he says, who is my neighbor? Jesus doesn't just answer. He tells him a story. And I love this story, so we're going to read it. Because when the man is asking, who is my neighbor, he's saying, well, sh- who am I supposed to love as myself? Because surely you're not talking about that bully from high school. When you say I'm supposed to love somebody as myself, surely you're not talking about that girl who's spreading lies behind my back. Surely you're not talking about the media. Surely you're not talking about the Democrats. Surely you're not talking about the Republicans. Surely you're not talking about the people who are not like me. Y'all got your steel toe boots on this morning because I'm, I'm stepping on my own toes this morning. Excuse me. He's saying, where does the line get drawn? And so Jesus tells him this story. It's Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Sorry, 29 through 37. We continue on verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. And now this part of the story might be shocking to us, but it wasn't shocking to them because this was a notoriously dangerous road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was actually called the Trail of Blood. You got to be brave, go down the Trail of Blood, right? But it was because so many times there were so many turns and twists in the road that there would be robbers lying at almost every corner, it seemed like. They could have been at every corner. And so he gets attacked by bandits, and it says they stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, by chance, a priest came along, a holy man who would have known these laws, who would have memorized them by the time he was 12, would have known that he's supposed to love his neighbor as himself, came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. The Jewish leader that was talking to Jesus would have been shocked at this point. And then it says, a temple assistant, also called a Levite, right underneath the priest, again, also would have known the law, walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. And here's where we pick up in verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And we've got to stop the story right there because at this point in the story, the Jewish leader that he was talking to was already shocked. He would have been shocked even more. Like Jesus might have had to pick him up off the ground. He was so shocked. Because what he's thinking when the despised Samaritan comes along is he's thinking, oh, this is the end of the story. He was left for dead, and the priest didn't do anything about it. The temple assistant didn't do anything about it, and now here comes a Samaritan who's just going to finish him off. Why, why are we talking about this this morning? Like, why, why do we have to talk about this in church? Why do you got to talk about this in church? Because when Jesus is asked explicitly, you know, like, who should I love as myself? Jesus tells him not just a story, but a racial story. It's important we talk about these things, even if it makes us uncomfortable. Jesus tells a racial story this morning because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They hated each other, and it was a racial thing. And it was something that lasted almost a thousand years. 
The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews even called the Samaritans mixed breeds. They called them dogs. They couldn't stand them, and the Samaritans hated them right back. We think America is divided today. Talk about a thousand-year-long racial feud where they hated each other. And that's what Jesus is speaking to when he tells the story of the Samaritan walking along. So a thousand years of hatred and enmity and division and strife come up in this Jewish leader's mind. And he says, oh, no. If only a neighbor would have come along before the Samaritan got to him. If only I would have been there and I would have been a good neighbor. Because the Samaritan's coming along. I think he's going to finish him off. And then let's read to the end. What does the Samaritan do? It says, then a despised Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Turn to somebody next to you say, compassion. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. These were expensive goods at the time. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn. He would have... Put his arms underneath the man. He would have touched his hands to his wounds and gotten his blood all over him. The man was naked, it was said. He would have had to maybe take his own cloak off and cover him up. And it says he reached his arms underneath him and, and picked him up from the ditch that he was left in. That was, He was broken and, and bruised and he picked him up. Amen. <laughs> He picked him up and he put him on his own donkey. And it says he took him to an inn where he took care of him. And these three next words are very important. It says the next day, the next day, that means he stayed the night with him, making sure that he was okay in the night, that something didn't happen to him in the night. That he was probably changing out the bandages, changing out the wounds, all these all these little details that just from the, the phrase the next day. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, two days wages, telling him take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. And so then Jesus turns the question to him and he says this. Now which of those three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And now look at this. The man replied, and he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. This story is just as powerful and provocative and profound as it was 2,000 years ago, wasn't it, church? I have a few thoughts I want to share about this and look at the three types of people that come upon the traveler. It's a, uh, a, a, a writing that I've discovered uh, from uh, Jennifer's grandfather, Pastor Ben's grandfather, Samuel Doctor, and he talks about the three type of people who come across the traveler. And this is what I want us to look at this morning. There's the robbers, and this is their attitude towards the traveler. And their attitude is, what's yours is mine if I can take it. What's yours is mine if I can take it. And this morning, I think there's probably the majority of us in here haven't stolen anything from somebody in the past week, you know. Hopefully, I don't know. If you have, there's grace at the feet of Jesus. But 
while we may not have actually physically stolen something, the reality is in our hearts we could have followed in the spirit of the robber without even knowing it. Because when we treat people as a means to an end, or when we, maybe when we're just faking being kind to somebody just to get something from them, we follow in the spirit of the robber and saying, what's yours is mine if I can get it. If you've got something to give to me, then I'm going to take it if I can. And the second group that comes along is the priest and the Levite. And they say, what's mine is mine if I can keep it, if I can hold on to it. When they came across the Samaritan, they had the opportunity, they had the knowledge of God's word, but instead they decided, I'm going to hold on to my schedule. I'm going to hold on to my comfort. I'm going to hold on to my clean clothes. I'm going to hold on to my own safety from stopping on the trail of blood. Basically, their attitude was wrapped up like this. That's not my problem. You ever seen somebody post that on Facebook the past week? <laughs> it's not my problem. That's not my problem. Yeah, they may be hurting. Yeah, they may be in the ditch, but that's not my problem. And the last type of person that comes across the traveler is a Samaritan. And their attitude is what's mine is yours if I can give it. How powerful would it be if in our communities, in our homes, we would allow Jesus to renew us relationally to where we said we've got an open-handed kind of love. If I can give it to you, I'm going to give it. Whatever it is that's mine, it's yours. You can have it. You can have my donkey. I'm going to rip my clothes to make bandages for you. I'm going to give you my own cloak. I'm going to pour out this olive oil and wine that I had plans for, and I'm going to use it on you because I see that you're hurting. Because I see that you're broken. Because I see if it's mine, it's yours if I can give it. Jesus says, that's loving your neighbor. That's loving your spouse. That's loving your kids. That's loving the people in your community. That's loving the people that look like you. That's loving the people that don't look like you. That is loving your neighbor. I, I think of the verse from 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, and the reality is, is we can't claim to have an open heart and yet still have closed hands. We can't have, claim to have an open heart and yet have closed hands when there's people who are in need who are hurting. 1 John chapter 4 says this, There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. How do we renew ourselves and how we relate to each other? we got to drive out fear. It says, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What does that mean about punishment? It means that when we're giving in to fear... Love cannot be there because the reality is this. Fear is an all-consuming concern for your own well-being. But love is an all-consuming concern for another's well-being. You, you know, when I say all-consuming concern, I mean you can't think about anything else. When my wife sees a spider in the house, all logic poof, goes out the window. <laughs> you know. Like, she attacks me when a spider's in the house. Like, I'm the spider killer. Don't hurt me, you know? Like, 
Because fear is an all-consuming concern for your own well-being. Logic goes out the window. You can't think about anything else. You're just worried about nothing happened to me. But love drives that attitude out because love is the exact opposite of fear. Love is an all-consuming concern for another's well-being. I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about problem-solving your problem no matter what, no matter if the robbers are still here behind that rock. It doesn't matter because you're in the ditch, and i got to help you right now. That's what loving our neighbor looks like. What would our homes look like if we allowed Jesus to renew us relationally with his perfect love? What would our homes look like, our neighborhoods, our cities, our society, if we allowed ourselves to renew, allowed Jesus to renew ourselves relationally with his perfect love? As I was doing this message, I was thinking about 16 short years ago about how the way we relate to each other really started to change because bursting on the scene, social media, Facebook was launched 16 years ago. You guys Anybody remember? Did anybody have Facebook in 2004? Anybody? You would have had to been at Harvard, so that was that's when it launched. It was just at Harvard, but I was actually in college studying uh, communication at the time. So my degree is in, and so we had a like a magnifying glass on social media, kind of at the boom of when it was all coming out. And this is what I remember. Uh, it, everybody was excited. Okay, I was in political communication classes where we were talking about social media and you know its potential and all this kind of stuff. And everybody was excited. I was right. I was in college right around that time, and everybody was. I, I remember just a palpable excitement about it because here's what I remember. I, I want to read this because I wrote it down. It says, "When people are more connected through social media, we're going to start to have real productive debate." On the issues. And as a result of how connected we are, people are going to come closer together than ever in history. Why are y'all laughing? So it was a success. Is that what the laughter tells me? It was a success. I remember that. These were experts in communication. Doctors, professors with PhDs talking about this is the promise of social media. But instead, for 15 years plus, social media has trained us that what the world needs right now is your take. Don't believe me? What is the question that Facebook asks you every single time that you open the app or log in? Anybody? Yeah, pull up that picture. You got it. Do we have the picture? There it is. They have scripture. No. What's on your mind? Turn to somebody next to you and say, what's on your mind? Give us your take on the issues at hand. Give us your take. Do you think the traveler needed everybody's take on his situation? If the priest and the Levite would have said, I mean, you go down the trail of blood with no horse and donkey, something's going to happen. Do you think he needed their take? He should have known if you go down that road. Why was he traveling alone in the first place? He should have had a sword with him. Studies say that if you travel the Jericho Road, 
with no donkey, bad things will happen. When we dissect and we rationalize, oftentimes it's just a cover for us to deflect our own responsibility for our neighbor. And I, I'm, I'm not trying, I'm not thinking of any person in particular right now. I'm just thinking of society as a whole and the way that we've bent. Thinking that what the world needs right now, they need my opinion on something. They need my take. They need me to share that article. Just this week, I talked with uh, a black member of our church family this, morning, uh, this week. And, and you know, we were talking about just some issues and things. And, and it turned and he said, you know, the black community right now is really hurting. We're afraid. We're confused. We don't stand by, you know, the riots and the violence and people breaking stuff. And we're just afraid and scared and, and hurt. And I'm going to tell you something. In that moment, he wasn't saying, hey, what's your opinion on the police reform bill that was just voted down this past week? How ridiculous would it have been if in that moment I would have said that? All they needed to know was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're hurt right now, but I'm here for you. I, I love you. I, I'm, I'm praying for you in the middle of this. I, I, I know you must be afraid and confused right now, but I want you to know. I want, I want that person that talked with me this week, and I want all the black members of our church family to know we love you. We care about you in the middle of this. We, we want to let you know that here, your life matters to us. We love you, and we care about you. Because in that moment that he was speaking to me, he was in the ditch. And he was hurting. And he needed me to just let him know, hey, man, I care about you. I love you. I'm here for you. Because that's what loving your neighbor looks like. It's not giving an opinion. It's not sharing an article. It's not giving your take. It's, it's showing them love. And the same exact attitude can be applied to your, your spouse, to your kids. Man, how many of y'all who have a wife know they don't need you to solve their problem, Right? <laughs> Unless it's a spider. There you go. How many times have you ever had a wife say, look, just, I just need you to listen? And for men, that's hard, right? It's like, well, I see a problem, and let me give you my opinion on it. We got to start as believers. If we want to lo truly love our spouse and our kids and our family and our neighbors and see change happen in society, what we've got to do is we've got to see the pain before we see the problem. The priest and the Levite saw that he was hurting on the side of the road. They didn't think about, oh, he didn't bring a donkey. Oh, man, this is why, man, if only we would have enacted change this many decades ago, then he wouldn't be in this situation. He didn't need that. He needed somebody to put their arms underneath him and pick him up and put him on their donkey and give an open-handed kind of love that would truly save his life. That's what he needed. Society doesn't need our take. It doesn't need you to share that article, but you know who does? The social media companies do. They need that so they can make another buck. Your neighbor doesn't need your take. Your neighbor needs your grace. That's what, that's what your neighbor needs. The world doesn't need your opinion. What it needs is God's power flowing through you. It doesn't need an opinion. It needs God's power and his love flowing through us in the form of radical boundary-breaking love. Because when Jesus was asked point blank, what does loving my neighbor look like? Like, in the middle of our society and how we relate to each other right now, it could not be clearer what Scripture speaks to how we relate to each other than what is happening right now. Jesus is asked, point blank, what does it look like for me to love my neighbor? And instead of just answering 
you know, everybody or this. Or, what he says, he paints a picture of costly love. He paints a picture of radical love. He paints a picture of boundary-breaking, life-risking love. Now, if you're like me this morning, you like to put yourself in the stories in the Bible. You like to figure out which character you are in them. That's me. And there's nothing wrong with that if you pick the right character, okay? You don't want to be Ahab or Jezebel or, you know, just don't, don't put, no, don't, don't go there. But in this story, today when we were reading it and you, you saw the robbers and you saw, maybe you were convicted because maybe you've stolen something. Again, there's grace at the VGS. But again, maybe if you've been following in their spirit and you've been treating people as means to an end and you felt convicted. I want to tell you something this morning. You're not the robber. If we were reading about the holy men and you got convicted because you feel like there's people that you pass by. I'm just going to let you know, I'm in the same boat. I, I sent a friend request to somebody that I've been out of touch with since college, that God's been laying on my heart off and on for the past few years. And I haven't done anything about it. And I felt convicted. I felt like I passed them by. I sent him a friend request to open up communication, let him know I'm praying for him. But I want to tell you something. I'm not the holy man. You're not the holy man. That's not us. That's not who we are in the story. Even the Samaritan. If we were reading the story and you weren't convicted at all, congratulations. But that's not who we are in the story either. You and I, in this story that Jesus tells, are the traveler. We're the ones who are wounded and broken. We're the ones who are left on the side of the road for dead by our own sin. The Bible says that all of us have fallen short of sin. The Bible says that the byproduct of sin in all our lives is death. And we are utterly helpless to get ourselves out of that ditch. We're waiting for the rescue from the Good Samaritan to walk by. Romans chapter 5 says it this way, verses 6 through 8. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. And he didn't just give his time. He didn't just give his treasure, his olive oil and his wine. He didn't just show us an open-handed kind of love. He gave his blood and he gave his life for us. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That's why the title of this message is The Best Samaritan, because Jesus isn't just the good Samaritan. He's the best Samaritan. He's the true Samaritan. And the reality is we all need the best Samaritan. We all need him to come in because only he's able to bring us from death to life. We see death all over society today. And only Jesus has the power to change our society today. Only the best Samaritan can come in and bring light where there is darkness. Only the best Samaritan can come in 
and root out the sin of racism in our country. Only the best Samaritan can come in and renew us in our homes, in our communities, relationally, how we relate to each other. See, because racism is the sin of counting your equal as an inferior. But what Jesus came was when he saw us unworthy sinners who truly were his inferiors, he counted us as equal. Because of the love of Jesus, we're called friends of God. Aren't you thankful? Because of the love of Jesus, we are co-heirs with Christ. That is amazing to think about. I know I'm inferior to Jesus, and yet he counted me his equal. He considered me worthy of his attention. He considered me worthy of his compassion. He considered me worthy of his service and even worthy of his blood on the cross. Jesus considered me worthy of his life. And he considered you worthy of his life too. He considered your neighbor worthy of his life. We all need the best Samaritan. In these 16 plus years of social media, I've seen a, a big mix of good, bad, and ugly. A whole lot of ugly. I think the jury's still out on whether or not it can actually affect change in society. But I'm going to tell you something the jury's not out about. There's no doubt about the power of Jesus to come in and change lives. The world doesn't need us to make another post. What the world needs is for us to reach out to the people in our community and show them God's love. They need an experience with the risen Savior because when people encounter the risen Savior, it doesn't just turn bad people from good. It turns dead people to alive again. What the world needs now is the best Samaritan. So as a church, I want to share a challenge for every single one of us, myself included. The Bible says we carry around in us the same resurrection power of Jesus, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave we carry around in us. So as we go out this week, I just want to challenge every single one of us. Let's be, let's, let's follow the, good, the steps of the best Samaritan. Let's be Samaritans to the people in our home, in our community, in our city, and in our society who are truly hurting. And let's let God's love renew the way that we love others. Let's let God's love come in and renew the way we relate to each other with an open-handed kind of love. Because, see, social media says what's on your mind, but Jesus says what's in your hand. What can you do right now to affect change in one person's life? In an individual's life, and when you affect the individual, you affect the society. Let's let God's love come in and renew the way that we love our spouse. Renew the way we love our kids. Renew the way we love our neighborhood, our communities, the people who look like us, the people who don't look like us. Man, it doesn't matter if you're black, white, rich, poor, Fox, CNN, the love of Jesus can flow through you to somebody who's not like you and it can change their lives. I feel my life changed already this morning just by talking about it. So this morning, I want to pray and close this out. Wherever you're at, you can bow your heads and close your eyes. And if wherever you're at this morning, if you're at home or you're here in the room, 
And you, you just, you, you feel, you feel that helpless feeling of, I've followed my, the sinful road. I've beat myself up. I've let sin and the world beat me down. I've followed sin. I feel ashamed. I feel hopeless and I need rescue from the risen Savior, Jesus. I'm gonna tell you something. He's here at just the right time for you. If that's you this morning and you need rescue, it's as simple as just calling out to Jesus. And he'll stoop down. He'll put his arms underneath you. He'll pick you up. And he'll not just heal you. The Bible says he'll put a brand new heart inside of you. If that's you this morning, if you're in here, if you're online, wherever you're at, just raise your hand. It's not a sign for me, it's a sign for God. If that's you this morning, you you need the best Samaritan. Raise your hand. Awesome, awesome. I see all those hands. You can put them down. If you raise your hand here this morning, if you're watching with us online, you want to pray that prayer. I want you to just repeat after me. And, and these words aren't magic. It's, it's, it's the heart behind it. Lift it up to God in faith. It's Jesus that saves you. So repeat these words after me. Say, dear Jesus, I thank you for saving me. I thank you for loving me. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I'm helpless without you but I call out to you. I need you to rescue me. I need you to save me from my sin. I need you to save me from myself. I surrender to you and I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, we just want to put our hands together and clap for you this morning because we are so incredibly proud of you for praying that prayer. If Jesus saved you this morning, we want to know about it. Let us know whether it's on the app, whether it's on social media, connect with us and let us know because we're proud of you. We want to give you some next steps. And we just want, I want to pray too for us as a church as well, that we would go out this morning and we would let the love of God come in and renew us relationally. God, I just thank you for every single person in here, Lord. God, who, who has heard your word, Lord, and we all are just crying out to you saying, God, renew us so that we can renew our society. God, allow us to be Samaritans walking the roads that we walk. Allow us to come in and love the people who look like us. Allow us to love the people that don't look like us. God, allow us to come in and be agents of radical change by your love, Lord. God, let us follow your example that you painted for us when you showed us what it looks like to love our neighbor. We love you, Jesus. We just pray for our society that's hurting and that's broken right now. And God, we pray that your supernatural love would come in and would heal the wounds. Your supernatural love would come in and just allow all of us to renew our society. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you for the victory that you are going to bring in 2020. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all this in your powerful name. Can everybody say a good amen this morning?